following talk is from New Community. For more information about New Community, check out newcommunitychurch.org.uk. Thanks for listening. Adoption um, is, is an amazing concept, and if you are someone who has adopted children or you've been adopted yourself, you're on the receiving end of it, then you'll absolutely know how remarkable the whole concept of taking somebody that's not your natural birth child and taking them into your family and giving them your name and then causing them to have a completely new identity and a complete change of life is, a, is, a, is, a, is an extraordinary thing for anyone to do. Some of us here tonight, though we might get that concept of uh, that's amazing, I'm glad someone else is doing it, may never ever adopt anybody and never know that experience of uh, being alongside people who have been adopted. But tonight, in this word, I want to bring to your attention the fact that there is a sense in which we're all fatherless and we're all orphans. And actually, the experience of adoption that these little children in China and all over this country with Home for Good, by the way, they're just extraordinary in terms of they really are on course that every child in every home is going to be into a family in this country. Um, and as we see these things and we hear about these things, we can kind of put it to a side. But there's an adoption process that we all need and we are all invited to experience. And I've entitled this word, We All Need Adopting. <clears throat> and there's one verse in Scripture that I want to draw your attention tonight, and I'm going to take three points from this. And I have to be really honest with you this evening. I'm gearing this up for response. I'm gearing this up for us to take a step this evening to say, yes, this is what I need to experience. This is what I need to know in my life. And um, this verse is a remarkable statement, full of truth. It says this, how great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The first point I want to make is the little phrase that's just thrown in there in the middle of this verse. How great is the love, the Father. It's an interesting thing. I mean, God reveals himself as a father. The only way you can be adopted is if a family adopts you into their family, which means there's got to be a parent, best of all two parents, mum and dad. But the reality is God's revelation of who he is is as this father. How great is the love the father has lavished upon us. It's a rather strange concept for a lot of people. If you're in a conversation with somebody, a friend who's not a Christian, and they're talking to you, and they're saying to you perhaps, so what's God like? And you said, well, he's a father. I think that would be quite shocking for a lot of people. I think they kind of have concepts of who God is and what he might be like, but it doesn't dawn on them that he'd be a father. That's really, really weird. And yet what's even more weird is that from the beginning of this book, the Bible, all the way through to the end, that's exactly who God says he is. He reveals himself to us as a father. And it's not something that you and I have made up. You know, I think a lot of people would like God to be in their own image. And so spend an awful lot of time creating a God, which incidentally looks remarkably like you at the end of the day. 
But we are made in God's image. And one thing that God says about himself, he reveals it to us. is he's a father. I don't think we'd have sat down as the human race and written out why. What do we think God's like? The first thing we come up with is a father. Yet the very revelation that God brings is of his fatherhood from beginning to end. Right in the early days of the Bible, he reveals himself as this father. He's got these people called Israel, and he describes them as a child, and he is the father. There's a a passage in Deuteronomy chapter uh, 1 where he says, Like a father carries his children, so I carry you as a father. This isn't a recent made-up concept. This has been there right from the beginning. The revelation of God who creates everything is if you really want to know what I'm like, I'm a father. And what we need to understand is the revelation of this father is that he is remarkably kind and he is long-suffering and patient. He is a very loving father. He's not even like a father. He is the total final revelation of what a father is. I am a father. I've got four kids and I've got 12 grandkids. I am trying to be like the father who is God himself. He's not like a father. He is the very essence of everything that he is, is that he is a father. And yet it's amazing because by the time Jesus comes onto the scene, everything has really changed. Because the people of God were rebelling against him, because the people of God didn't like him, they distanced themselves from God more and more and more. In fact, sometimes they even tried to replace God the Father with idols. They created these little idols they would worship. And what they're doing is, here's God Father wanting them to be his children, and they're rejecting him and pushing him away. So by the time Jesus comes on the scene in the New Testament, he had become so distant that his name, Yahweh, was actually a name that no one was allowed to say. Because you couldn't even speak the name of God. So removed and so distant was him from them. Then Jesus comes onto the scene. He literally bursts onto the scene. And one of the reasons that Jesus came was to bring revelation of who God is. And guess what? (laughs) The major thing he goes on and on and on about trying to describe who this God is to people is that he is our Father. He says many other things about God, but he goes on and on. It's kind of like the forgotten aspect of God he wants to restore. So John says, how great is the love, the Father. And you can't experience love unless you know the Father. And you can't really understand what it's like to be a child unless you know the Father. And God's intention tonight is that we should know the Father. And there may be some of us that don't know God, he's very distant, and there may be some of us that are Christians, and still the concept of father isn't really what it's meant to be. And Jesus presents the father with amazing intimacy. So they said to him one day, how should we pray? You all know this, or many of you do. He said, our father who is in heaven. And when he's talking about how we should 
understand what God is like. He speaks on and on and on. He says, you don't know how to clothe yourself. You don't know how to feed yourself. Our heavenly Father will feed you and will clothe you. If a sparrow falls to the ground, he knows all about it. How much more does he know about you? Every hair of your head is numbered. That's how intimate this God of the universe is. He's your Father. You got this? You don't look like you have. I'm one of those preachers that just keeps going until I think you've got it. So if you look like you've got it, we'll move on to the next. He's a father, and it's amazing. When Jesus describes this father in action, he uses this story of a son who took his father's inheritance and went away before he should have had it and spent it all, and he ran out of everything. And then one day he turns around and thinks, I can't go on living anymore. There's nothing, I've got, I'm empty, I'm homeless. There's nothing left. Maybe, maybe, maybe if I just go back to the father, he'll make me one of his slaves or servants. And Jesus said, and then the father who's been on the rooftop, because those days they had flat roofs, by the way. They wasn't kind of, you know, anyway. So he's on the rooftop and he sees his son in a distance coming towards him. And he runs And he runs down the road to him and he embraces him and he welcomes him. He's not going to be a servant. He's his son and he's returned. This is Jesus trying to bring a revelation for all of us who God is. He is not just like a father. He is the most remarkable, kind, loving, perfect father that anyone could ever experience in this life. And Jesus was very offensive when he started talking about these things about his heavenly father, it was just so intimate and so offensive to people that couldn't even name God. He's going, Father, 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 Father. Look what it says in John 14, verse 6. A couple of his disciples, Thomas and Philip, are chatting away to him. And uh, verse 6, Jesus said to him, to Thomas, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Even in this passage, just see how many times Jesus mentions Father. If you had known me, you would have known my father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip rocks up and says, Lord, show us the father and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long? Some of us are identifying with this, aren't we? Come on. Have I been with you so long? And you still do not know me. Philip, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak of my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. He is trying to say over and over again, listen, this is important. If you want to know God the Father, you want to know what the Father's like, the most glorious way to know it is through Jesus. Jesus has already said in verse 6, no one comes to the Father but through me. Do you know why? Because I am a revelation to you of who the Father really is. How can I know who God is, it's through this amazing revelation of Jesus. It's like you see Jesus, you see the Father. You see the Father, you see Jesus. The Father and I are one. 
It's Jesus' way of not just talking about the philosophy of God, but saying, here, embodied in me, the Father is manifesting who he is like. There's not a lot of confusion in the Bible about God. There's not a lot of confusion about what he's like and who he is. It's we who are confused and have strange, odd ideas. And we come back to this place and say, yeah, I believe that Jesus, you are the one who shows me who the Father is. God is a wonderful Father. And he wants us to experience his fatherhood. And God longs for a relationship with you. And he longs for you and me to experience everything that you could possibly experience about a father and what a father wants to give to you. He wants you to know he's your son. He wants you to know he's your daughter. By the way, the Bible often talks about being sons of God. It means all of us, men and women, okay? I'm part of the bride of Christ, and I'm still trying to get my head around that one. So it works, works both ways. The reality is that we are to be his children. I love my kids very much. I love my grandkids as well, very deeply. But my love for them, however it's expressed, is nothing in comparison to God the Father's love for you. Maybe tonight you're not a Christian. You need to know this, that God has a plan for your life, and part of that plan is he wants you to be his child. And actually there's something in the heart of God that aches. The Bible says it's not God's will that any should perish, but that all should come to know him. He looks around this planet, he sees people going off into, the, into all kinds of things, an ache in his heart because you've been made in his image. You're meant to be his child. He longs to be your father. And if you are a Christian here tonight and you've come to know the Father through Jesus, his desire is that you shouldn't just know that as a fact, but that you should experience that love of the Father in a real tangible way. So that's the first part of this verse, how great is the love the Father has lavished. The second part I want to bring out is this, how great is the love that has been lavished upon us, and this love that's been lavished upon us has a result And the result is this, that we know that we are called children of God. Love does need to be expressed, doesn't it? This says, you know, that how great is the love the Father has lavished. So, lavishing, this is a wonderful, just say lavish, just say it, go on, lavish. It's just, English words are not very good, I'm sure it's much better in French, but lavish. It's like this abundant God isn't just meager. Okay, I suppose I better love you. He is pleased to love you. And he has lavished his love, it says. So I express my love to my wife, for example. We've been married nearly 38 years. It's been 38 years of expressing love to one another. And sometimes that's done in tangible ways. And sometimes that's done... In, in just ways whereby you don't know how we express our love for one another. A wink across a room can mean an awful lot of things. We express our love. If I said to Liz on a daily basis, just before we start the day, I love you, that needs to be expressed. You can even say it sometimes, but that's not even enough. It has to be tangibly expressed. So... If you have children, you then express your love to those children. 
parents express to their, their love to their children by expressing affection towards them. A lot of parents feel very protective towards their children. That's love that makes you want to protect your kids. Parents, mums and dads need to feel very responsible. It's good to be responsible as a parent. It's a way of expressing your love for your children. Even parents have to discipline their children. The only motivation for disciplining a child is that you love them. It's actually unloving not to discipline a child because you love the child so much you don't want them to keep doing this because it's going to cause damage. So out of your love for them, you discipline them. Of course, one way you can express your love to your children is to buy them things and to give them things. And we're just coming up to Christmas. There's going to be thousands of pounds being spent by people who want to express their love to people through things. And I'm sure there are times when I've brought my family things to express my love. But if that's all the expression of my love, it won't satisfy. People, children would rather have their parents than the things that parents buy them. They'd rather have their love and affection and tension because that is the real expression of love. Things are just an extra thing added on. So when I read in this verse, how great is the love the Father has, I'm thinking a little bit of my love, which sometimes is like bursting. I want to express my love. How great is the love the Father? How is that ultimate expression made to this planet, it's through the sending of the most precious thing that God the Father could ever send, which is to give his son, and to give his son up freely for us. That is, a remark- is the most remarkable, sta- this is an understatement, of the expression of God the Father that he should send his son, and that his son should not only come but be rejected by men and women, and die a terrible death on the cross. But that death on the cross is amazing because none of us are born with a relationship with God as our Father. None of us. The Bible says all have fallen short of the glory of God. No person is born with an automatic relationship with God as Father. And sin, which is pride and, and living for myself, has just come in and stop me having a relationship with him. That sin has got to be removed before I could even have a chance of having a relationship with God as my father. So Jesus dies on the cross. His blood is shed. And the Bible says, through the shedding of his blood, if we believe in him, our sins are forgiven. And they're not only forgiven, but they're eradicated as far as the east is from the west. In other words, the barrier stopping you and me being the children of God is removed at that moment because sins are forgiven and we have a relationship with God. So a result of the cross is that we're forgiven, we no longer have guilt, we no longer have condemnation. But this passage of scripture, how great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God, indicates that not only are my sins forgiven at the cross, but something else amazingly dramatic happens through the work of the cross, through the sending of Jesus. And what's that? Well, it's the result that I become a child of God. It's amazing. This is what it says in Romans chapter uh, 1. Sorry, John chapter 1. Causing his people to be... John chapter 1. Romans 1? But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. It's amazing. 
all who believed in him, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. In other words, we are born again by the Spirit coming into us. How do we, what, what is this thing? How on earth do I, I get my sins forgiven a bit, but how do I get to be his child? Here's the answer, the very theme that we've been looking at this evening. The answer is adoption. God adopts you. Just like those Chinese kids, just like kids in this country that are being adopted by parents all over this nation, God, our Father, looks upon us. He says, I'll have you for myself. I'll have you to be my child. And the deal is this. We're a million miles away from God. There's nothing inside us that's worth adopting. In fact, the Bible even says we are enemies of God. So I'm an enemy of God. How can I get to be his child? To become a child, your whole status has to be changed. The Bible often refers to us as slaves, like we're kind of slaves to the law or slaves to sin or slaves to pride or slaves to selfishness. It's often the case in Roman times that the master would forgive his slave. And this is not a passage about our master just forgiving us because it doesn't change our status. I would just be a forgiven slave. So here we are all in the marketplace and we're all chatting away. And I say to them, you know, I'm forgiven. <laughs> yeah, but you're still a slave. What are you doing here? Well, I've still got a master's troops, but he's forgiven me. Yeah, but you still <clears throat> have to act as a slave. You've not changed your status. Christians are not just forgiven. Christians are people who have had their very status being transformed by the love and mercy of God. This is what it says in Ephesians chapter 1. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. Gets even better. Romans chapter 8. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons as daughters, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and follow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we might be glorified with him. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us. He's forgiven our sins, but here's another move up a gear that we can absolutely be called the children of God. How did that happen? Because we're not just forgiven slaves, we have become his children. It is an act of God. It's not something I could do. He's, he's, he's adopted me into his family. And now as a child of God, I have his status. I'm in Christ. I have the righteousness that comes as a son. I have an inheritance. And this is amazing, folks, because whatever your background, none of that disqualifies you from him deciding that you can become his child. Sometimes people say, well, I'm not worthy of... That's actually irrelevant right now. It's the, you know, I don't know, 
I don't know, because I've never done it, but if adopting parents make the decision to have this child and this child turns around and says, but I'm not worthy to come into your family, I don't think that happens very often. The child is delighted and thrilled. <clears throat> and God has done this so that we understand that he's done it. And it's irreversible. And you now have a new name and a new nature. Your Bible says you're a new creation. You have a new DNA. We were all fatherless. We all needed to be adopted. If you're a Christian tonight, you're not trying to be a child of God. You already are one. And God's purpose is you just live out the fullness of all that that means. Here's the third and final point. And I love this because the verse doesn't just end with how great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. It's like then, John does a strange thing, he says, and that is what we are. It's kind of like it's a punch. And that is what we are. Because knowing that you're a child of God isn't how you feel. So I feel like I'm a child, but next week I might not feel like I'm a child of God. It's kind of like, John wants to make this amazing statement. All these things are true. And it's important, even tonight, that we agree. This, is an, this, this phrase, and this is what we are, is an agreement. Yes, I am a child of God. Two things. One is this. You cannot be an orphan and a child of God at the same time. It's impossible to have a father. That's why I emphasized this thing at the beginning, the father. It's impossible for Christians who know that God is their father to be an orphan. You're either one or the other. Jesus said this amazing thing to his disciples shortly before he left. In John 14, 18, I will not leave you as orphans. I'm going to come to you. So everybody's a child of God. We can say, that this is what I am. I'm a child of God. I'm no longer an orphan because God has made me to be his child. And we need to have the assurance in our hearts that we know that this is true. This is what I am. I'm not, as it said a moment ago, we read in Romans, under the spirit of slavery leading me back to fear again. His spirit bears witness with my spirit that I am a child of God. That I cry out, Abba, Father, from within me. These are the assurances that I know this is to be true. And so if you're a Christian here tonight and you kind of, you still, yeah, but I still feel like I'm an orphan. You need to rise up and say, and this is what I am. I am a child of God. It's not you boasting in yourself. You're boasting in what Jesus has done. Every time we say we're like orphans, it's like saying, well, he didn't really do it. Now, these are all wonderful, factual, legal kind of truths. But there comes a point when we need to, this is dangerous ground I'm getting onto now, where these wonderful truths need to actually mean something that we experience. This church is often emphasizing the importance of truth. But truth, once it's established, can lead on to transformation. The love of God isn't a doctrine to be wondered at. It's to be experienced. And if you know that you're no longer an orphan, you're a child of God, the expectation is you're going to experience his love you're going to experience his grace. You're going to experience his fatherhood. You're going to feel that God is your father. 
He's a good father, and he wants us to know that goodness and that kindness. The Bible says grace upon grace, kindness upon kindness. These are not just vague theological statements. They're like waves. And although we don't rely on them, they are surely the outworking of anybody that knows God is their father. Final thing I want to say about, and that is what we are, is that it it causes us to want to relate to this father. Knowing God is your father and that you are his child must surely not only be, I don't feel like an orphan anymore, but I actually experience what fathering really means. It cannot just be a cold fact. I am a child of God. Here's my father. Whippy. Jolly. No, I am a child of God. He's my father. And I get on a daily basis to experience the loving kindness of my heavenly father into my life. It's well known that for many of us who have become Christians, we struggle to relate to God as father. And there are reasons for that. But one of the main ones is because we've experienced fatherhood in an earthly sense. And so sometimes the word father does not automatically result in good news for everyone in this room. Some of us have been raised by fathers who, although they were there, they were kind of absent. They were always distracted, uninvolved. Some of us might have had fathers who were not affectionate. And maybe as the years have gone by, we've realized there's this lack of contact and affection. When I drove, I was driven by someone from our morning meeting over to Eltham this morning. <laughs> it was an interesting experience. The whole experience was talking about my driver's father <laughs> and, and the lack of affection that he'd ever shown him and how determined he was, now he's a child of God, to express affection to his family all the time. It was a wonderful conversation. It was a shame I got to Elton, really, because I was just going so well. And, and it's like some of us despise our fathers because they didn't express their love or affection towards us. Do you know that there are many fathers today who find it so difficult to express their affection to their children? Do you know why? Because they had a father who didn't express their affection towards them either. It's really difficult. I want to suggest to you this evening that we need to align ourselves with this new heavenly father and not be affected by our fathers. Um, Sometimes people call this the fatherless generation. It's a powerful statement but I think it's got real seeds of truth. You know, there are whole estates in this country. This is serious stuff. Where there are no fathers. There's mothers and aunts. There are no fathers on the whole estate. And it's amazing that we live in such a world where fathers no longer know what their role is and they don't know what to do and... It's even a suggestion, will we come to a place where we won't ever, because of biological advances, why would we even have a father? Why do you even need one? When you think tonight that we're talking about God as our heavenly father, no wonder people, when they even become Christians, think, 
God's my father, but when I think of father, I think of all kinds of other things. Some of us think of fathers who are overbearing, disciplinarian, harsh. We have all sorts of experiences. I know people that find it hard to relate to God as father because their mothers were so overbearing in their lives. The father was a distant character in the background, couldn't even get in there to be a father because the mother was doing everything. The good news tonight is this, that God is now our father. And whatever our past experience, you have been adopted into his family. And even if it's for the first time tonight, the journey can begin of developing your relationship with a father who will never be distant, who will never be harsh, who will never let you down or forsake you who will never have any motive in anything he does into your life other than he loves you. And that's why when you've had past experiences of fatherhood that are marred, it makes no difference to a new beginning and a new journey of knowing God as your heavenly father. And the truth really is this. Some of us, I'm going to include myself in this, try to be a really good dad to my kids. I kind of worked at it really wanted to be good and if my four kids were here tonight and you were to say to him so what was your dad like was he perfect let me tell you let me save you the time they would say he was absolutely not did he make mistakes of course he did but was he a good dad maybe they'd say yeah he was all right he was in my life he did do you know what my dad did he tried they might say to you (laughs) i hope this is true so they might say to you, he, he spent time trying to express what God the Father would be like. But the truth is this, even if you tonight had a good dad, an involved dad, a loving dad, and you knew that he loved you and was affectionate towards you, even there it falls short of what your heavenly father is really like. That's why adoption is so important. Because we all get to be adopted, whatever our past experience. Some of you tonight never had a father. Don't know who he is. Never, never met him. All of us have these different backgrounds. But this moment of adoption when you realize he didn't adopt me because of my lacks or because of what I had. He adopted me because of his love. And we all start on a clean slate. And you can say tonight, my dad was pretty good. But even however good he was, he was not as good as your heavenly father. Let's close our eyes. Today's been about adopting children, physical. God's love for you is really amazing. That's why he uses the word lavish. And if tonight you're not yet a Christian, I want you to know that God loves you and he longs to adopt you. And if you know that you need adopting, then why hesitate? Won't you respond to his loving kindness? If you're a Christian here tonight, please don't know, just don't just know that you're adopted. But live in the good of being his child. 
He has such an abundant life for you and such a wonderful inheritance guaranteed for you. Thanks for listening to this talk from New Community. For more information about New Community, check out newcommunitychurch.org.uk. Thank you.